The following programming is sponsored by Tom Tool III. The views expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of this station, its management, or Beasley Media Group. Good afternoon, greater Philadelphia area. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Stacy Mitchell. She's Sarah Time, and we've got Gabe behind the camera. And we all work at the Tom Tool Sales Group with Remax Mainline, the number one Remax team in Pennsylvania since 2018. And you can find us every week streaming live on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. So we've got some interesting stuff to cover. The HGTV scam, I'm going to call it. This is going to be our last segment here. We've got Moody's chief economist Mark Zandi predicting a market correction, not a crash. But first, we're going to talk about May pending home sales. They were up 0.7 of a percent. And there's also a data source. It's called Adam Data with two T's. They're telling people three Philadelphia area counties are the most at risk in the country. So let's get into this first about this pending sale home increase in the month of May. It was a modest increase, 0.7 of a percent. It's not anything crazy. Um, and we saw that come up, and but numbers were down 13.6% compared to May of last year, according to some data released this past Monday by the National Association of Realtors. So what are your takeaways from the bump in pending sales for the month of May? Well, it's typically spring market anyway. <laughs> so, um, but I think that buyers are, are, you know, they're very interested in, in getting under contract and getting their homes, uh, you know, the, with all the rumblings of the interest rates continuing to climb. Um, you know, there, there was this, um, you know, this real push, this real effort uh, to, to definitely lock in so that, you know, they can feel comfortable uh, with the rates that they that were current in the market at that time. Because since then, they've jumped right at least a point. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I think that that has a lot to do with it. But it's funny how, you know, prior to the May's uh, numbers coming out and this information coming out, like there was so much negativity about mm-hmm. the housing market and everything's going to collapse and it's like, you know, <laughs> doom and gloom. Right. And then we get these May numbers and it's just what we thought because we felt it. Like right. we were in it, Sarah. So we knew what was actually going on in the market. Yeah, no, I would I would absolutely agree with that. I mean, I think that this was number, the interest rates were already on the rise, but not to where they've since gotten to. Um, so motivated people that were ready to move forward um, were were doing that. And I mean, it was smart. Mm-hmm. Like, as we've predicted, they've, you know, rates have, have continued to climb. Inventory is still where it has been. Um, so it's, it was a smart move to to get in and and secure the property, and I think I think that it it makes sense that there was a little bit of an uptick there, despite everything that we were hearing. I would also argue this is the first seasonal market we've seen in over twenty four months because typically May has the most homes that sell, so that that probably has something to do with it. I, I you brought up a great point, Stacy. The people that did this and bought in May, they got to be like high fiving themselves, I congratulating think. each other. Hey, we made you know we 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 made a smart decision. We probably got lucky. Um, Lauren June came out and he, again, he's the chief economist of NAR. He said, despite the small gain in pending sales from the prior month, the housing market's clearly undergoing a transition and 
contract signings are down sizably from a year ago because of higher mortgage rates. Well, duh. Thank you, Lawrence. This is not <laughs> anything new. Um, do you see this trend continuing? How do we see the outlook now? Because th- I think this is a little surprising news, even though it's modest, because the negativity that's been out there, to your point, do, are, do you anticipate we'll see more sales in June, less sales in June? W- how do you see the summer playing out here? I mean, the second half is something we can predict maybe next week or, or, or something like that. But what does the summer hold here, given that we may went up after six months of declines, which I think is pretty, pretty notable? Well, I think, um, I mean, June has uh, been on pace with uh, my May activity. I still have a lot of clients. And this uh, is personal, correct? Personal, yeah, personal and local uh, that are still looking, um, you know, to get into the housing, to to actually secure their homes. So um, it's still a very active market here locally. And I, I, you know, it notoriously drops off in July and August anyway. So I think we'll we'll see that trend also. So it's nothing to be, you know, hair on fire, like, oh, my gosh, the, the market is going to collapse. That's just going to be the regular normal, um, you know, projection or trajectory of the market. But um, as far as June, I think uh, June's going to be a pretty healthy month uh, for transactions, even though the interest rates have risen. There's still people that need to buy and sell. So we'll always have that. Um, so we, you know, that's why we're out here diligently working to help our clients. Yeah. I mean, I think that June is going to, I agree. I think it's going to be healthy. I think it's going to, um, we're going to see that, that uptick of pending sales again. Um, I think what we're not going to see just off of that number is maybe what secured the property and what, um, the buyer had to do to get it. I think in some cases, as we've kind of mentioned before, and this is not in every case. You know, there are certainly still many properties out there that you need to go in waiving inspections, going, you know, however much above ask. But, um, you know, we're starting to see more of those properties where you can sneak in, not sneak in, you put it in the contract, you can uh, ask for an inspection and maybe you're still having to put in, um, you know, certainly thresholds as to what what you're going to be looking for out of that and what potentially you'd be asking back from the seller, depending on what comes up. But we're not going to see that in the number. But I think that, um, yeah, I think it's going to be healthy. Well, and, and you, you brought up a really good point. This was We talked about this last week that uh, Redfin had some data that came out that, saw, that showed sellers were dropping their prices more after their homes were lingering on the market. And uh, one of the things that, that, that's at play here is inflation. Uh, I mean, inflation mm-hmm. is taking a bigger bite out of consumers' paycheck each month. And you know, the, the Fed is pushing that policy to kind of calm this down. Mm-hmm. Even if you watch like some of the, and, and the news is just so negative right now. There was a study out there that said that people are going to be paying anywhere from like 7 to 9% more for 4th of July barbecue goods compared to last year. That's a pretty big jump. I mean, it, it's silly. I mean, you're talking about hamburgers and hot dogs and like the cost of beef is up. And, and this is something that's weighing on people. But as inflation does take a bigger bite out of consumers' paychecks, you're going to see demand soften a little bit. It's going to be a slight deceleration. There's still not enough inventory out there. It's not even close. To me, you got to get to four or five months before you even have that conversation where the market's going the other way. So because sellers are getting more realistic, I'm clear – that's going to help the pending sales numbers stay consistent. Um, we're, what, three days before the end of the month? I mean, we're a couple sales off um, where we were in May, uh, roughly. And we've also seen more terminations this month than we saw in, in, in previous months. So that does say there's a little economic uncertainty there. 
um, just from our internally our numbers because we don't have the June data yet. So knowing that's the case, uh, I mean, it, it seems like inflation is still at play here. People are still moving. And this is what a normal market looks like where you don't see these wild swings of, hey, prices just went up 1% in the past 30 days. Congratulations, Stacey. Your home's worth more. Or there's 10% more homes that sold than this time last year. And we're just not going to see those numbers because you have to think about what was going on in 2020 and 2021. So mm-hmm. what, what were some of the things you weren't or or you, you were or were not doing might be the I mean, what was your life like a couple years ago just from a consumer side? A lot different. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, there there wasn't as many options for things to do, places to go and mm-hmm. um, other places to, to spend money. Right. There's also Everybody. a lot more cash in the system. Yeah, a lot more cash. People think about all that government that government money that oh, went out. Ton, yeah, a lot. And and a lot of people didn't need it; they just took advantage. And, and you know, I mean, I'm not saying that's good or bad. It's a, I mean, it's out there; it's free. There, there's not a lot of strings attached, but there was a lot of cash in the system mm-hmm. to keep the economy moving. So, seeing all that, I don't, I don't know that pending sales are going to differ that much from one month to another. I, I'm clear we're going to see that seasonal market, like we talked about. July things slow down a little bit. August things slow down a little bit. And then what I anticipate is the second half of the year, the savvy buyers are going to jump into the market and say, I'm okay with higher rates because I don't have to make a decision a decision in the next 15 minutes if I want to write an offer. Mm-hmm. And I only have 10 minutes to go look at the home because there's a line out the door. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. This is not exaggerated. It's not exaggerated. That's why I'm chuckling because it's true. Yeah. It is so true. Yeah. So instead of, you know, 15, 20 offers on a home, there might be two or three. So, and that's, you know, that definitely is is much better odds that you're going to be able to get your client into a home or that your client's going to be able to secure their home. Yeah. Although, I mean, I I do think that that is price point dependent too. Property dependent as well. Property dependent because, I mean, I know just this weekend alone, there were several offers that um, my clients went in on that, I mean, competition was still like 10. Mm. Yeah. Um. So, you know, there's so still right there. now, like it, it, it is. And it's, it's so funny because you'll, and you always want to go in with the mindset of multiple offers and put your best foot forward and don't expect a counter. And I'm, I'm personally not seeing many counters these days, you know, like it is, you have mm-hmm. to, you have to go in strong. Um, but you never know how many are going to be in on it, on a place. Cause yeah. there's, there's certainly cases where, you know, there's somewhere I thought there would be more and, and, and it was a small pool of maybe three offers. And then other ones where you're like, there were 14 offers in on that. <laughs> like, you know, so it's, it's property dependent. Yep, exactly. So I, I agree there. And, and that really just demonstrates that we're not going to see this crash or every, that everyone's talking about what I wanted to get to next uh, because I, 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 this is just to me is just a seasonal market, and we're in a normal market. This isn't a bad market; it's a normal market, and it's more like 2019 than anything else. There was some data that came out uh, last week, and it's from a company uh, called Atom A T T O M, and they are just to give you an idea who they are, because you're probably thinking who, who is this company? I've never heard of them before. Um, Adam is uh, a, a dedicated um, group of industry experts that are committed to uh, providing data around real estate and around properties, and they provide, like, tax and mortgage and foreclosure information. So they look at all the factors. And this article was in the Philadelphia Business Journal, and it it also made its way around the country that apparently three counties in in the Philadelphia area are some of the 
most at risk in the country of potential declines. And they actually ranked the top 50 um, where the Philadelphia counties came in, where it was uh, um, Philadelphia itself. And um, and then additionally, they identified two of Delaware's three counties, which I would consider the Philadelphia area. And they, they cited them as at risk for having the biggest downturns or the biggest decline in values. What do you think about this? Well, Philadelphia City. Yes. And then what were the other counties? Two of the three counties in Delaware. Two of the three counties in Delaware. Like Delaware State? Yeah, yes. Oh, okay. And well, Delaware are... County would be one county, not two or three. <laughs> okay. So just to, just to be clear. So Delaware State, a couple of counties in Delaware State. Yes. Yeah. And then so, Philadelphia City. Mm-hmm. I see there's a couple in Jersey, too. A couple in Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, New York and Chicago were some of the others that, that, that were found. And southern states were considerably less exposed to a downturn. So while you're thinking about this, let me tell you how they came up with this, because I, I think that's important. So counties were considered more or less at risk based on the percentage of homes facing possible foreclosure, the portion with mortgage balances that exceeded property values, the percentage of average local wages required to pay for a major home and ownership expense at a medium price single family home and local unemployment rates. Okay. And then they based it on home affordability, equity, and foreclosure reports. Well, I think um, home affordability is always an issue, you know, especially in the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. It's become more and more of an issue. Um, and just personally in our local market, I know that there's been a lot of people leaving Philadelphia City to move to the suburbs. Great point. So Great point. That's my observation about that. Um, so the housing market there, I know that has homes for sale are on the market longer than in the city as opposed to in the suburbs. It's probably a half, half amount of time in the suburbs on the market than in the city mm-hmm. where we are now. So, I mean, it's that, almost exactly half. Is it? Okay. So, that definitely has something to do with it. Um, you know, it doesn't seem like, I mean, obviously, there's still people moving in and out, but mostly out of the cities. Um, so, I mean, there's so many factors involved in those decisions for people. Um, you know, just so many changes that have happened over the past couple of years. Um, some people are looking, <clears throat> excuse me, for more privacy or more of their own space as opposed to being on top of each other in the cities. Um, but just looking from this, some of the counties, especially uh, surrounding the city, it, it kind of makes sense to me, actually. Yeah, I mean, I'm wondering if so because because they are sitting longer in the city, it's but it's still it's not like it's a, a crazy amount of time right. that they're sitting. So. If they'd be more at risk, you know, if you were somebody who maybe had to not have a, like, where they sold their home in the city in order to purchase outside, you know, and then they, like, didn't want to have that contingency in place, um, and they were able to kind of swing it for a little bit where they could go in, get in on their prop, like, their property outside of the city, and then they were going to list their home here, and now it's sitting longer, um, than what they had kind of expected. I can see how that would that would be an issue. Um, so, yeah, I feel like there's there's some factors there that that could make that make sense. I mean, I'm still not seeing a ton of you know foreclosures or or anything yeah. like that. Is that what this is like alluding to that it's going to lead to foreclosures? Um, 
you guys are being very nice about this article. <laughs> I think this is a load of crap, and it's poor journalism. I'm looking at some real actual data here, yeah, and okay. this is why you two are on the show, because you're much nicer than I am when it comes to this stuff. In May of 2021 to May of 2022, the median home sale price in Philadelphia is 290000 It's up 7.4% from last year. Okay. Days on market has declined, even though it still is higher um, on average for the year, it's about 45 days. It went down to 30 days from a wow. peak of 47 in February. Um, That's pretty good. And, and so now there is more inventory in Philadelphia. And the thing about Philadelphia is it's such a diverse county. I mean, you go from Rittenhouse Square or Center City or Bella Vista, right? These places, they're, they're going to be a lot different than when you go to some of the neighborhoods in like Southwest Philadelphia or North Philadelphia, where I think there's probably more of those risk factors that exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I look at this article as pretty irresponsible because they don't tell you how they got the data. I mean, it, they, they don't give any factors here other than we made a study of all these things. And the city has some issues when it comes to taxation. Number one, you got the city wage mm-hmm. tax there. Um, there, you know, obviously there, there's other things going on in the city that I'm, I'm not going to get into now. Um, you know, foreclosure activity and unemployment. I mean, it, it's I, I think that's kind of dependent on the neighborhood to a certain extent because, mm-hmm. Look, there, there's problems down in Kensington with what they're allowing to happen with, you know, with police and, and, and all, all those things. So I look at this article as really, really irresponsible because to me, Philadelphia, it's a neighborhood to neighborhood thing. You can't group the whole yeah. county as one. Right, right. And I would argue that for most counties out there, period, mm-hmm. even Chester County, yes. very diverse from when you go to west, south and then northeast yeah. or Montgomery County. You're out in Pottstown or you're in Lower Marion. Those are two very different areas. So. This is one of those articles where it's just I don't know how people feel good about putting this out there, because to me, the media has this all wrong right now that there's challenges with the housing market. There's a deceleration happening. It's not the most vulnerable to a collapse. I would argue that some of the places outside Philadelphia are more vulnerable because they don't have the job market that we do here. They don't have the industry that exists. We're the fifth largest metro market in the country. To me, this just is. and, And look at the other places they're citing. New York and New Jersey, Chicago, California. Uh, I mean, and then uh, so these are places that have typically not had those big ups and downs in the market like we saw in the depression of 2008, not the recession, the depression. And a lot of people tend to forget that stuff. So this to me is and it's all over the place. I mean, it was on the Philadelphia Business Journal. It's on this Adam website. I never heard of these guys before. Hopefully they go out of business after this. <laughs> it's it just it's it, it's bad information that creates a lot of fear in the in, in the marketplace right now. Mm-hmm. That that that's my take on this. Yeah, it's all a, it is. I, I notice a lot of the headlines pertaining to the housing market are all negative. You know, right. it's it, if anything that you see that you're just scrolling around or that you're listening to, it's all negative. Yeah, it's it is very interesting being in this industry and seeing what gets put out there versus like what you know to be true on your day to day. Yep. So we're going to talk next. And I think this is a great time for, for a break because the Moody's chief economist uh, came out and he was on CNBC yesterday. Um, his name's Mark Zandi and he predicts a correction, not a crash. And there's also talk of like some institutional buyers and what impact that has on the market. So we're going to talk about all that next because this is the stuff that's getting pumped out there constantly. It's a great segue. We're going to go over his segment, what's right, what's wrong, what's actually happening. We'll cover all that next on Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. Buying a home or already own one, we can help. 
I am Kevin Hamill from Alliances Insurance Agency. If you haven't reviewed your policies in the last three years, now's the time. New home buyers, there are a number of ways that we can help you get to that settlement table. Call us to find out more at 610-816-0043, extension 3, or visit our website, alliancesinsurance.com. Don't forget the S, it's for savings. Have you considered a career in real estate? Do you want control over your income? Whether you have a license or not, call us today at 610-692-6976 or visit tomtool.com. Join our team, the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline. I'm Tom Tool of the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline. If you're thinking of becoming a real estate agent in the greater Philly area, I have a special offer for you. Our team did $165 million of volume in 2021, making us the number one REMAX team in Pennsylvania and a top 1% team nationally. Our agents love us because we offer them a successful career, a great life, and an unbeatable culture. Agents who've been with us for at least a year average 30-plus sales. Even our brand-new agents average 17 to 24 sales a year. We offer proven systems and expert training. We help you set more appointments and sell more houses. Now here's the offer. If you don't have a real estate license yet, we offer real estate scholarships so you can get one for free. Check it out at realestatescholarshipprogram.com or visit the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline at tomtool.com. That's tomtoolwithane.com. Get more out of your real estate career and remember the real estate golden rule. You always get more when you work with Tom Tool. For the best local mortgage service and great rates on your money, look no further than Mortgage America. We've been operating in the greater Philadelphia area for 40 years with a focus on smooth, easy access to home purchasing. Whether you're a first-time buyer, upsizing or downsizing, or just refinancing, we have programs for you. We also have closing cost assistance programs and access to subsidized interest rates. Pre-approval is free, no costs or commitments. To learn more, visit our website at mymortgageamerica.com or give us a call at 610-439-8000. We always have a person available to take your call with around-the-clock human service. Purchase your home with the personalized local service you find at Mortgage America. Mortgage America is an equal housing lender, NMLS 128501. Welcome back to Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Sarah Timon. She's Stacy Mitchell. We've got Gabe behind the camera, and we all work for the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline, the number one Remax team in Pennsylvania since 2018. And we're streaming live every single week, Tuesdays at 3 on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just look up Tom Tool Sales Group. So more nonsense in the media from a much more reputable source. Uh, so Mark Zandi, the Moody's chief economist, had a CNBC interview yesterday. It's about a five, six-minute segment. And basically the short of it was that he is predicting a correction, not a crash in the housing market. My head immediately goes to what's the difference? What is he talking about here? Um, and I'll share that with you in a second. So what basically he said is that, um, and this was a report from Bloomberg, and again, it was on CNBC, um, is that he made the prognosis during a housing policy summit uh, where he said lack of mortgage defaults and distressed sales would keep prices from falling too much. That's where you get crashes when you have lots of foreclosures and lots of distressed sales. So you know, my question is, what's the correction, right? What, what, what does that even mean? Because a lot of people talk in housing jargon like that. So I went to... My friend Google looked it up. 
Charles Schwab, a reputable source, right? We all know Charles Schwab investing. Um, there's, he says there's no universally accepted definition of a correction, but most people consider a correction to have occurred when a major stock index, such as the S&P 500 or Dow Jones, declines by more than 10%, but less than 20% from its most recent peak. And it's called a correction because historically the drop often corrects and return prices to the longer term trend. So I would interpret that, that he sees prices falling between 10 and 20%. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be very logical about this. Um, what, what do you two think? Yeah. I mean, I don't think that you can, I mean, obviously different pieces of this are related and how the stock market is doing does affect how people feel and like how comfortable they are uh, moving forward with, with different transactions. But buying a house isn't something that you just buy and sell as things like go up or down on a. This isn't like something that you look at on like a daily tick. These are, these are long-term investors or investments. Um, I would say with the exception of, you know, somebody that comes in, buys, restores, flips, whatnot, and then resells. But even with that, that's, it's not done in a day. Um, so it's a lot, all of this in the housing market is a longer term piece than just like, Oh, today it's up tomorrow. It's down. Do, do, do. You know, it's, it's, you're, you're in the game for more than a couple of days here. Yeah. And most home buyers don't see it as like an investment. It's their home. Right. You know what I mean? It's like they're buying their family home. Um, although it is an investment and it's the best way to build equity and, and, uh, generational wealth, but that being said, it's still, they're buying a home. Um, but yeah, I thought that was interesting. Um, there's another article that um, talks about the NAR reported that existing home sales for April um, came in uh, and it was down, but the home prices were up 14.8%. Mm -hmm. And that's where we still find ourselves in, you know, that the home values are still increasing. Um so, yeah, it's interesting. I don't see uh, the crash or the correction. I think things are going to level out. You know, we have the interest rates that um, are going to take people out of the housing market altogether. Mm -hmm. um, and prices are going to just level out. But even at that, there's still going to be the competition because we have low inventory. Low inventory. Mm -hmm. And that people are willing to pay above the purchase price. Right. Well, and so another definition of what a housing correction is, this comes from The Motley Fool, which is a pretty, pretty reputable investing website. A housing correction is not the same thing as a crash. Thank you. We knew that. Uh, during a correction, home prices return to more normalized levels of buying and selling. They don't fall suddenly and dramatically as they would in a crash. In other words, things balance out, and that translates into slower home price growth and possibly longer time on the market. That I do agree with. I, I, to me, that's you know much more much more clear in, ter in terms of the definition. And when you look at, you know, correction ver versus a crash, I mean, th there's a couple factors here. And we've already seen that days on market slowly going up. We're seeing that things are slowly starting to starting to return to a normal market, which which I agree with what, what the Motley Fool said. So number one, the underwriting's a heck of a lot better. We don't have these risky mm -hmm. products anymore that, that are out there where folks were basically coming up with their income on their own, they didn't have these low credit scores. Everything gets, uh, you know, uh, underwritten, like, from, like, large deposits and bank accounts. It's a very thorough process. So I'm clear the lending industry really cleaned things up a lot. So that would be one reason. 
The second is inventory still too tight for prices to go down. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, 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 I don't, I don't see that changing anytime soon. Mm-hmm. At least in the next six months or this year. I mean, what, what, what are, what are your observations there? I agree, a hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, as long as the the inventory kind of stays where it is, and the number of buyers that we have are where they have been. Even, I mean, even with some buyers pulling away because of interest rates and other factors. There is a huge pool of them. They are ready to go. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And distressed sellers, um, if a seller is in a situation, maybe something happens in their life that they lose a job or divorce or whatever, the market is going to allow them to, to, you know, get out from under their home and not be a distressed <laughs> seller. You right. know what I mean? So it's not they can avoid a foreclosure situation for the most part and and you know, the housing market is going to, there's plenty of buyers. So they will be able to sell their home. Right. And I mean, and even with like a little bit of a tick up of days on market, Mm -hmm. rather than going to foreclosure, I mean, if you can scrounge together enough to hold it together until a settlement, Mm -hmm. yep. You know, you have to borrow money from a family member. If you have to do whatever, like hold it together for that, that timeframe there. And that's going to be your better move. Mm Mm-hmm. So there's a couple other factors, too. So we're in agreement so far. We've seen the yield on the 10-year Treasury bill. It's up in, like, the 3.25% range. Obviously, that's created higher rates. So I think that that's put some cold water onto the housing market. And I, I look at the Fed's action as one of the reasons why we're seeing this is more of a – the Fed is, like, forcing this correction almost because if rates were still in the threes, I, I don't – I mean, there would almost be no homes available. And, and inflation is a, is a challenger. So I'm not saying they're doing the wrong thing. It is clear that, I mean, Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Fed, came out and said this might not be the time for millennials to buy. And that, that was after the meeting last week. So you've got all those things happening, too. I mean, that's forced government regulation. And there's a couple other things happening. Um, and employers are rolling back the at-home work situation. Mm-hmm. How do you think that impacts all this? Yeah, um, <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to make people have to be closer to work. It's going to before you had the ability to kind of meander about a bit and and give yourself a longer commute time if it took you to a different mm-hmm. place that you wanted to be at. And now when you factor in, you know, a, a daily commute, that's that's going to most likely make you want to be closer to, to work, you know. And especially like if you went from no commute because you were working at home and then all of a sudden you have a really long one, like mm-hmm. that's tough. Mm-hmm. Well, think about the folks that they just like they're said I'm I'm going full remote and I mean I know people in our industry like mortgage lenders that they're saying hey I'm not I'm not going to be in town for four months I'm going down here I don't think that's going to fly as much anymore I mean I've seen the consumer really especially in our business they there's not these virtual listing appointments happening anymore mm-hmm. I mean there's not yeah. like I mean virtual showings out of necessity sometimes mm-hmm. and that to me is pretty smart because that that happens all the time in in resort communities I I'm clear that's something that's pretty pretty savvy by the consumer adopting that because you can get a pretty i mean like iphones are amazing things right i mean you can get a pretty good view of, of what happens there also like to, to your point sarah you can't like go hey i'm gonna go move to lancaster even though i work in philadelphia and deal with the commute because i want three acres of land right like that that that's not happening so that that i would i would say that that's as much of a part of this as anything else because my view is the places that get softer the quickest are the most rural locations like the, those kind mm-hmm. of fringe communities um versus center city or you know the main line or media or places you know where people are constantly moving and want to live so that to me is a factor here um what about institutional investors what do you think about them 
Yeah, that's uh, there's there's quite a bit of that going on right now. Um, it's definitely affecting the the rent market. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I hear a lot of people complaining about the increases in their rents, um, their families' rent. You know, things like that. So that is definitely making a big impact. Right, and it's it's pooling from the pool of potential properties, mm-hmm. especially when it's an investor that comes in and buys. You know, like a single family home or something like that and then has it as a rental it's it's pulling away that as an option from you know just your your person that wants to buy this to be their home to live in and I mean the investors have a couple different advantages that they can pull out when they go to putting in their offer one of them being a lot of times it's cash you know um so they've they've got a leg up um in in a lot of situations where they can afford to go in and and do what they need to do to secure it. And then that's one less property in an already low inventory market. Yep. So our friends at Broke Agent Media went over this NAR survey that was done. So when, uh, there, was a, a, there was a survey that NAR conducted called the Impact of Institutional Buyers on Home Sales and Single Family Rentals. And there was 3,600 plus realtors that responded. And there was a couple key findings. Um, one was that there was... Uh, the first one that they focused on the share of residential sales uh, represented, which stood at about 13 percent, um, meaning that that was the percentage of sales that were represent that had an institutional buyer come in. And that was based on some deed records that were collected from Black Knight. And there was a couple states that stood out. It was like Texas, Georgia, Oklahoma, Alabama, Mississippi, typically places that have newer housing inventory than we do. I mean, they don't have like the hundred year old home that People are ready to go spend all kinds of money on. Um, if you look at the institutional buyers uh, for the single family home median price is typically 26% below the actual median sale price. So it's a lot of distressed properties. It's a lot of fa- lot of things that need, need work. And their second finding was that it was, um, based on the survey, there was 10 market factors that attract these buyers. Fast household formation, um, high density of renters, high density of millennials, high income, high education, more people moving to the area, fast rent growth, fast home sale growth. But really it was the the biggest thing I took away from this is that they offer cash. They go to properties that typically need work. And Sarah, I want to get your perspective on this because you're going through this right now. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of home buyers just don't even want to deal with work and you're going through a, a whole home renovation and leaseback and home repair were the most important services that were provided. 30% of institutional home buyers gave folks the option to lease back, and 27% uh, made home repairs a non-issue. Um, the primary reasons people sold to an institutional home buyer was 29% wanted the cash right away, and 27% wanted to sell it as is. So it sounds like distress sale home needs work, meaning like the property's distressed, not like a distressed sale condition and cash right away and the option to live in the home while they find something, which, I mean, that's been the biggest complaint for for home sellers for 24 months. Mm-hmm. Although I'm a little bit surprised that some of the investors are allowing people to live in, like to kind of lease back and live in it um, afterwards, because I guess it depends on the size of the investor and, um, you know, how much cash flow they have and everything. But what I found with, I guess, particularly smaller investors is 
they need to get working, if it's a project that they're going in or a home that they're going in and then they are doing a bunch of working work to it to flip it around and sell it again, they typically need to get started right away. They have their plan in place. Like they know they do this. They know what they're doing. They have their people ready to go. Sometimes I feel like, you know, they even have like a, I guess like a staff um, or mm-hmm. of, of workers that are employed and they need work for them to go to every day or else, mm-hmm. you know, what are they doing? So um, I'm a little bit surprised that that's something that was kind of flagged as a thing that they're offering. Cause I've, I've had situations. I recently had a deal um, where I had a seller who had tenants in the home and they were, you know, supposed to be out by a certain date. And then the deal ended up falling through because it was a small investor that was purchasing it and he needed to be able to get started on it right away. And um, well, there were two issues, but one of them was the tenants weren't getting out as quickly as promised. And he was mm-hmm. like, well, I, I can't sit here and wait like an extra week, mm-hmm. two weeks for them to get out. Mm-hmm. And that's an issue for the small investor. And that's probably why yeah. these guys, these guys are more equipped to do guys. These companies are yeah. more equipped to do that because they've got capital. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they're, they're not looking at a, you know, the, the small investor is in a tough spot sometimes because yeah. they have to make their money work for them as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. They can't afford not to. Mm-hmm. That's building their balance sheet and, and, and what, what a lot of these big companies do. Um, and well, I think that, the, that's a relevant point. The institutional investors, they probably bake it into the offer that, yeah. you know, they do go in under asking with um, quick close cash, blah, blah, blah. But then they probably say, well, sure, you can rent back for a month or two mm-hmm. at X amount of dollars. And they yeah. take it from the proceeds of the seller so they don't really feel the pain right. of that. So actually, the institutional investors are still capitalizing sure. on that time. Sure. So because nothing's for free. Yeah, <laughs> that is that is true. <laughs> pay with your money or you pay with your time. <laughs> exactly. So yep. A couple takeaways from this report. And then and I've got a, a question for, to, for, for you two to kind of digest here. So the biggest takeaways from the study were that a lot of these homes are turning them into rentals and mm-hmm. it's actually increasing the supply of rental housing. At the same time, it's also reducing the supply of developed lots, construction labor, and ultimately properties for homeowners. And the purchase of existing homes by institutional buyers reduces available inventory, which will tighten the housing market. So do you see this continuing? Uh, I mean, I I see a lot of positives to versus like a hedge fund that just invests in stocks and shorts and and hedges and all those things versus a much more stable investing profile. Do we see more institutional buyers coming to the marketplace? Do we see less? Is it going to be regional? What 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 are your what are your observations from reading this study here? Because if we see more, it's going to impact the inventory challenge. If we see less, that could be a boon for buyers. And there might be an opportunity for sellers here who have those homes are just afraid to like get inspected and have an end user coming in and want to purchase. I think it is going to be regional. Um Absolutely. And I think with investors, it always comes down to the numbers. You know, there isn't there isn't emotion there. This isn't a place that they're necessarily going, especially the the larger institutional investors. Um, this isn't a place that they're going to be living. So for them, like they've got their spreadsheets, they've got their numbers, they've got where it makes sense and where it doesn't. So as long as it makes sense, I think that they'll continue to do it. Mm-hmm. I think uh, right now they see it as a great investment opportunity, great hedge against inflation. Mm-hmm. They're going to continue to do it um, until it's not working for them, like mm-hmm. Sarah said, yeah, because <laughs> that's all it comes down to, the bottom line. So one thing you said, Sarah, that I, I, I could not agree warm with, more with, excuse me, is that it's going to be regional because mm-hmm. 
some of the houses around here, they're kind of they, they got some issues, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if they need repair, think about a structural problem for a hundred year old home. I mean, right. you could be looking at almost a teardown in some cases versus a home built in the nineteen seventies or eighties, a little easier to fix. So I, I do agree, and there's, I don't think it's a coincidence that when you look at the market share of where they're doing this, it's a lot of places like Texas, mm-hmm. um, you know, some of some of these more southern markets, Georgia, Oklahoma. These places just aren't as developed. And when you think about our friends at Zillow, where they were having their iBuyer program, they were in similar markets where it was we know what we're getting, we have a buy box, we're looking for homes no older than X, mm-hmm. between X and Y bathrooms and bedrooms. So what I'm clear on is that one, it is going to be regional. Although there are companies around here that do this stuff. I mean, if you've like Sylvan real estate investors, I don't know if you guys ever ran across mm-hmm. them. They've made offers of listings online in the past. They rarely close because they try to renegotiate everything. They do target properties in like Delaware County specifically, places that need work. Um, and and I've seen like I've seen a lot of wholesalers come out of the cl- like the the woodwork here. I mean, like they're like literally we got a message while we're here from a wholesaler that got sent to me that said, hey, I want to know if you have a buyer for this property I'm trying to flip the contract for. So I, 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 I'm I, clear those people can be beat by the institutional investor, but the institutional investor is very risk adverse, and the properties around here carry more risk because they're just older homes that have a different type of construction. So to me, this is going to be a regional play for sure, and in markets where the prices are a little more at a premium. I mean, let's let's say New York or Washington, D.C. or Boston or places like that, even more so than here. I, I don't think they're going to go into those markets as deeply, and it's going to be based on where it's like kind of a meat and potatoes, sort of a, a more affordable market, maybe some of the suburban markets that are there as well. Uh, but I, I do like the investing strategy because it's a lot more stable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is this part of the reason why we're hearing correction versus crash? Do you think that, I mean, because these buyers are still going to be out there, I, I think they're going to yeah. suck up some of the available opportunities for folks. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you were looking for a fixer upper when you bought your home, right? I mean, not initially, well, okay. you, but you, but you, you kind of shifted though. I yeah, mean, we did. We did. I felt like I was there, like, even though I didn't really help you at all, besides a couple phone calls, I felt like I was part of the process there. That's why right. I'm asking. Right. So we, um, we did kind of shift from what we were initially thinking to then kind of going down the road of we're going to be doing some work. How much work was kind of up in the air? We looked at some that needed more work than others. The one we ultimately ended up going with needed quite a bit of work. We're, <laughs> we're in the middle of it right now. Um, but, you know, you have to have a certain mindset going into that. And you have to have at least one of you, <clears throat> my husband, that's like good with the numbers, good with like, you know, you have to be organized. You have to be on top of everything. Like if you mm-hmm. just let stuff That's an understatement go, right there. it goes, yeah. you know. <laughs> the budget south. will go, yeah. The budget, the time, like, and decisions mm-hmm. have to be made. Like you can't just like take a couple days off of like, oh, I'm not going to deal with this now. Like if you fall behind on anything, there's, it affects so many other things. Um, and it really is like you're managing a whole project, no matter how, like our contractor's phenomenal, but like, we, you have to constantly be like, all right, checking in what's going on. Like there's a lot of like late night phone calls for, you know, where are we at with this? What decisions need to be made? Um, and you know, you have to be able to pull the trigger on stuff. Like if you, mm-hmm. if you're somebody that's going to struggle to make a decision, this might not be the, the best fit for you. And it's, it's also one of those things where you can have it very like from the beginning, you know, things can be organized. This is your budget for this. This is what we expect for this. But when you start opening stuff up and doing stuff, <laughs> it can go all types of different directions. So yeah. you have to be able to, 
you know, kind of, I don't know what word I'm looking for right now. You can't see it on the radio, but, uh, you know. Go with the flow. Yeah. Yes, navigate go with the through. flow and be able to like, be like <laughs> all dilemmas. right, we're going to. Yeah. Like There's you, always. You've yeah. got to be able to do that or else it's it's not going to be successful. Well, and a lot of buyers don't want that. And that, that to me, and you know, the reasons you're doing it, my observations are it was a, it was a home that maybe was a little bigger in a, in a different area where you, you know, you're willing to put the sweat equity in because you're going to be there a long time. Yeah. There's going to be people that just, don't ever want to do that, no matter right. what happens. And, and I, I, I can see both sides of this, and I, I think it makes sense. And, I mean, you're coming out way ahead. I mean, we talked about it. You know, we're not going to go through those details here, but this is this is a good move for you guys. I mean, financially, yeah. for your family, it's, it's, it's a win all around. It'll be a lot easier when you get into the house, probably. Than yeah, with, yeah with right the, now the, we're, like, in between. <laughs> but a year from now, you'll be like, oh, yeah. God. Well, but think about right. the pain points that some buyers are absolutely, when you have consumers, they're, yeah. they're like, there's no way I'm doing that. But then they do; they have to adjust to the market. Institutional buyers, they're willing to deal with all this stuff because they're not living there. So sure. if they can make a deal work, mm-hmm. and some of these people, you know, the, the 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 seller of your home made a smart move and hired an agent and took it mm-hmm. to the market and got more than they would have with an institu- an off-market, like, investor sale. Sure. Um, but some people don't have the option to do that. They need the cash right away or they just don't have a choice. So I see this as something that's going to keep inventory low for a little bit because a lot of these big companies and like this investing money, they've picked up on, hey, real estate's a pretty good investment, rent's going up. Uh, so to me, this is going to be there. And I also do not see a correction. I just want to go on record in saying that. All these factors they're talking about here actually argue against a correction. And I totally agree, disagree, I totally disagree with Mark Zandi on the correction that's coming. We're going to end it right there, apparently. All right, good. I like it. it. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about HGTV, the houses they build, and are we calling this a scam? We'll find out next on Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. You shouldn't have to deal with all the red tape when getting your mortgage from a big or online bank. At Mortgage America, we have access to big bank money, but with the personalized and detailed service of a local bank. We are here in your community and ready to serve with fast settlements, low down payment options, and first-time homebuyer programs. Pre-approval is free, no costs or commitments. For more information, visit our website at mymortgageamerica.com or give us a call at 610-439-8000. The Tom Tool Sales Group is the number one REMAX team in Pennsylvania with over $165 million in volume for 2021. I'm Tom Tool, and our team has achieved that kind of success by being a great place to work with and to work for. No one knows Greater Philly better than we do. We know real estate, but more importantly, we're real people. We hire the best agents, and we give them all the tools to succeed. Even our brand new agents sell 17 to 24 homes a year because our team delivers the best experience in real estate. Teams deliver a better experience than individuals, and we're a top 1% real estate team in the country. We call it AAA service. We're your advocate, ally, and advisor. Because this isn't a transaction to us. It's a relationship. If you're buying or selling a home, call the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Main Line at 610-692-6976 or visit TomTool.com. That's Tom, tool with an E, dot com. Sell your home for more, and remember the real estate golden rule. You always get more when you work with Tom Tool. Buying a home or already own one? We can help. I am Kevin Hamill from Alliances Insurance Agency. If you haven't reviewed your policies in the last three years, now's the time. New home buyers, there are a number of ways that we can help you get to that settlement table. 
Call us to find out more at 610-816-0043, extension 3, or visit our website, alliancesinsurance.com. Don't forget the S, it's for savings. Have you considered a career in real estate? Do you want control over your income? Whether you have a license or not, call us today at 610-692-6976 or visit tomtool.com. Join our team, the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline. We are back for the final segment of Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Stacey Mitchell. She's Sarah Timon. We've got Gabe behind the camera, and we all work at the Tom Tool Sales Group with Remax Mainline, the number one Remax team in Pennsylvania since 2018. And I like the excitement there, ladies. It always <laughs> makes me happy. Um, Working hard here. What, what can we say? And, and if you want to find the show every week, we're streaming live on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Just look up Tom Tool Sales Group. So, House Digest came out with an article. This was pretty interesting. Gabe, he doesn't have a microphone on him, but he sent this to us today. That a lot of people with these HGTV dream homes or extreme home makeover, they they don't like winning the home. And... When you think about this, I mean, this began back in 1997. So there's been 25 years of this HGTV home sweepstakes. And there's been all kinds of properties that have been built, like log cabins, um, you know, modern modern homes, Victorian-inspired properties. And there's a lot of regret for the winners. And this may seem a little unthinkable to be upset about living in one of these, like, multimillion-dollar homes that they do. But the thing is, a lot of people don't realize that you need to pay the property taxes. And for a lot of winners, uh, they, they just they can't afford the tax bill. It's way too big to handle, and they're unable to stay in the home. So what do you think about this? I mean, this was, a, you know, I, I kind of know this internally. I was still shocked to hear it today when we were, when we were prepping for the show. I mean, I think I'd still like the chance to win it. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where – it's like, oh my gosh, I, I won this unbelievable thing. And then the the truth of it, that <laughs> that sucks. Like if you didn't realize going in and then all of right. a sudden you're underwater. Um, well, and it's not just, there, there's, there's two tax bills. There's the property taxes. There's also the federal tax bill for winning the property. Mm-hmm. So what is it, like the gains or something? What? So For the feds. There was a, there was a $1.75 million home. Mm-hmm. If you win that home, it's going to cost you $700,000 in federal income taxes. Wow. And that's just like right off the bat, right away. Yeah, because you won. It's like the publisher's clearinghouse, oh, right? That's a stiff tax right? bill. Right, and with that, it's it, not it, like it, it can it's just not come liquid. out of. Yeah, right, it's not it liquid. Just like come out of your mm-hmm. your winnings. Yeah, that's. Yeah, that's that's tough. Is it, it's got to be in the fine print somewhere, but it's fine print. People don't. <laughs> I mean, I think it's called. The, I think it's called the IRS's fine print. Um, right. Well, and I mean, and all of these homes that they build are. Oh, incredible. So yeah. they're all going to come with, I mean, even if that's on the high end, like it might not be, that might be pretty standard for where they would all, mm-hmm. where they would all fall. And and then you have real estate taxes, state income taxes, energy bills. Oh, I mean, I th- can't imagine the energy. Bills. And even if you were to say, well, I'll take out an equity line to pay the taxes, well, you got to have enough income to support mm. a $700,000 loan that you're paying mm-hmm. just to pay the taxes. So um, it, it, it's, it's pretty wild to me that, that this happened. So, uh, kind of what, what went on is that they've, um, there, there's, there's one person in particular that held out longer than any other recipient. 
Her name was Tina, Tina Carlson. She entered the competition one back in 1998. It was the second year, and she won a home uh, located in Beaufort, South Carolina. And she decided to keep the home, and she owned it for eight years. And then ultimately the tax bill was too high, and she sold it in 2005. So, I mean, it, it's – I don't think people are ready – they understand the costs associated with these big homes. And, and not that it's – you know, home ownership has a lot of financial benefits – I don't. Th- I mean, imagine if someone said, "Hey, Sarah, here's a two million dollar home. Good luck." I mean, would this even cross your mind as a? Cons- and I, I think you're anyone here is yeah. a little jaded because we know this stuff. Right. Right. Well, and I guess especially for the early, like, well, I guess bottom line is if you don't have the money to pay that initial bill, like you're screwed, right? <laughs> um, but from when this like first started, so what? It was what like ninety six or ninety five or something mm-hmm. when they first started doing this until now. I mean, I guess what you Depending on the location, you know, lots of little factors. Um, if you were able to handle that initial bill and you were able to Airbnb it, maybe you could like, because you'd almost you would almost need some other way of money coming in in order mm-hmm. to afford this. Like just on its own as an additional bill, I would think that would be too much for anybody. But if you could kind of supplement that and have some type of income coming in from it. I almost feel like that would be your only way that you would be able to afford it. And I guess for the people that if there were any uh, participants out there who won and, oh, that $700,000 bill isn't a problem and, oh, paying these other things aren't a problem, blah, blah, blah. It's kind of like, well, you're a jerk that you're the one that got to win it. <laughs> yeah. right. like, what does your you didn't need it anyway. House look you could have like? just gone and bought it. Exactly. <laughs> well, but. and apparently they don't even care about the odds of this. Uh, the, the the numbers were staggering, and then we can real quickly talk about Extreme Home Makeover. So six of 21 winners up until 2018, only six spent more than a year living in the home. Most sold very quickly after having, like, a couple, like, vacations in the house. Um, and... Others went with the cash price right from the beginning because, you know, I think it's the, the idea of the contest is they make money and it's kind of like the person that's underwater in their home or they can't afford their property mm-hmm. and the advice we give them to sell the thing. Yeah. And I, I, I think that's probably the, the best thing you can do there because then at least you have some cash to pay taxes and, and, and do all that. So I just I, this never even crossed my mind. I mean, you think Me it's it, but, you know. At the same time, now that I think about it, I'm like, yeah, duh, this is exactly what's happening. Yeah. yeah. So well, it's kind of funny that it also says in here in the article that for a number of people, I guess, in addition to winning the home, you also win the ultimate weekend, um, which, which is, is just <laughs> some cool vacation. Like, I guess, oh. like, you know, very like five star everything, super fancy, fully paid for and doesn't come with a tax bill. And it sounds like for some of the winners, like that weekend made it worth it like even if they sold the home right away or had some like financial struggles like that was a cool perk and it's just like funny that you win this unbelievable home and yada yada but like the vacation was honestly the best part of it well, i guess if you sell the home that's the only time you spend in the property so i don't yeah. know i mean some of these homes are, are ridiculous so mm-hmm. you know the hgtv story is not horrible the extreme makeover home edition one is and mm-hmm. and what i'll share with you here is that um, there's a lot of properties that um, these families win these renovations and like six years later, mm-hmm. they're going into foreclosure mm-hmm. because utility bills are soaring by like 700 to $1,200 a month. Um, the property taxes go up. Ooh. In 2005, there was, a, there was a family that was given a, a 4,300 square foot home. 
and the bank auctioned it off six years later because a lot of people, they either took mortgages out on their new expensive homes to pay off the old bills, pulled the money out of the house to start a, start a company or a new venture, or they just couldn't afford it in the first place because a lot of these people had some financial issues. Right. That's usually why they were right. selected for it. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, it, you know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's bananas to me. So uh, apparently... Um, there, there was one episode in particular. It was co- it was for the Higgins family and five orphans who had lost their parents to cancer and heart failure, and the home was built for them. And then th- th- it was like a the, the the kids moved in with another family. Um, it was the the Leo Midas family. I guess I'm pronouncing this right. And they built on this nine bedroom mansion, gave them new cars and groceries. But and then when the cameras left, all of a sudden, um. They uh, like the family kind of like broke up and they forced the kids out. And, and huh. I mean, it's like it's That's amazing. Tragic. Well, I think money is a lot like alcohol. Mm-hmm. And when people get too much of it, you kind of see what they're really like. And unfortunately, it sounds like that situation. But I mean, this show sounds like a disaster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like when people hit the lottery and they follow them around, too. Right. And then like, you know, three or 10 years, five years later, they're Flat broke. Yeah. Like they spent it on everything and gave it away. Yeah. Um, and they have nothing to show for it. Right. Yeah. Imagine if one of these homes got built next door to you and you're in like a like a normal kind of neighborhood and oh, then all gosh. of a sudden there's like yeah. a water slide outside and like, you know, petting yeah. zoo or whatever you're going to have there. So <laughs> I, this show, I'm glad I never watched this show. It just makes me angry even talking about it. Yeah. So that's some lighter stuff here on Tool Time Real Estate Radio this week. <laughs> you want to follow Sarah? She's at Ty underscore Ty Time on Instagram. You can follow Stacy. She's at the number two Mitchco on Instagram. You can follow me at Tom Tool the Third, Tom Tool Three RD. We're streaming live every week on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just look up Tom Tool Sales Group, and we'll be back next Tuesday at three with more great real estate information. Take care. <laughs>